My name is Kevin, uh, and I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and this weekend, actually, I'm the pastor here. Um, now, this is not because Derwin and Bill are scared of snow. Uh, in fact, our uh, Derwin and Bill, who are senior pastors here, along with our elders team, are away this weekend praying for our church um, and seeking what God's direction is for us as a group of people who follow Jesus. Uh, and so, you can feel honored, I feel honored that we have a team of leaders who would give up an entire weekend to seek God's will for us and to pray for us. Um, they love us dearly, and so you can remember them in your prayers as they remember us in their prayers. Um, so this is special. And with that, I get to be here to share the word with you. Uh, so I, I'm curious how you're doing this morning. Have you survived this week? Yeah, I, I know this sounds like the type of quirky thing that a, a preacher says at the beginning of their sermon to, you know, lighten up the crowd. But I'm actually asking because I think this is like an important question. This is typically a really tough week. Um, for many of you, this is like the first week back to your regular routine. And for me, I really quite like being back in a regular routine because now I know what day of the week it is. Um, my diet isn't just like leftover chocolate that's just been sitting there like, oh, I'll have more of that. Um, so it's good to be in routine. But it's also the first week of January, and many of you just received your MasterCard statement from Christmas time. And it's bigger than you expected. The, the snow and the wet all of a sudden doesn't seem as cozy and magical without the Christmas lights and the music. Um, and many of you this week broke your New Year's resolutions. Uh, this year we've, we've seen military tensions escalate in the world. Uh, we've seen Australia struggle with these devastating fires. Um, some of us are struggling to process the tragic loss of life uh, as a result of the plane crash on the other side of the world, yet that has impacted our community and the city that we're a part of. Um, and in the midst of all this, I would actually invite you to open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, I'd love for you to follow along. And you can raise up your hand, and one of our ushers will be able to get one for you. That's Philippians chapter 3. Now, I'm bringing up these things. It sounds like a real downer. It's like, thanks a lot, Kevin. Um, I'm bringing up these not to bring down your mood, but because it would be kind of silly of us to sit here and pretend that these aren't the realities that we're a part of. Do you agree? Uh, I want you to know that we're realistic. We live in the world, and uh, we're not ignorant of it. And I also want you to know that you're not alone, that even though every advert that you're seeing and the messaging around you is pumping out this idea that New year, new you, new decade, 2020 vision. Uh, even though you're looking at your media feeds and seeing your friend who's training for a half marathon, um, those ones who are actually eating healthy, they clean their house and now they're selling everything, that in the midst of all this, the feeling of losing control of the things that you're trying so desperately to control, that's a normal experience. It's a frustrating one. Uh, even sometimes when we finally get the thing we've been planning so hard to get and we find it doesn't deliver, that's frustrating. Um, so this morning, as always, we're going to turn to God's Word um, and we're going to see what His direction is for us this morning. 
Um, so I'd like you, if you're able, to stand with me this morning um, to recognize that this is important because the one who wrote it is important. I'm going to start from Philippians chapter 3, starting from verse 17. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction and their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Lord and Father, uh, we pray that you would teach us what this means. Guide us toward an understanding of your truth and a following faithfully after you. You are king, and God, we pray that we would learn to honor you as king. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So you can take a seat. Uh, whether you know it or not, uh, together as a church, we are part of a story, and that's why we meet every week. Uh, we meet and we grow and we're formed every week as we worship together. We do this through singing, through giving, through eating at communion, through hearing God's word preached. And so for the last four weeks, we've actually done a few different things. We have, we started off in the end of December by anticipating and then celebrating the fact that our God became God with us. He became Emmanuel. And then the following week, the 29th of December, the last Sunday of the year, we gave testimony. We shared stories about the way that we've seen God's with usness in our body. Um, how encouraging was that, by the way, for those who are here? How encouraging was it to hear the stories of what God's been doing? Really encouraging. I see heads nodding. I, I am not ashamed to say that at several points through the service uh, that way, I, my tears were wet with both like the sorrow of things that people have gone through and the joy of the goodness of God in the midst of it. And this is our collective story. Last week, Angel walked us through Psalm 23 and reminded us of how our God is with us, that he cares for us, that he is a good shepherd, and he never leaves our side. Next week, we're going to start a series, uh, and Derwin's going to lead us through what it looks like to live an unhurried life in a world where everything's in a rush. How do we stand against that? And we're going to be talking a little bit of what it looks like to swim upstream when everything is going the other way. So this week, kind of in a, a precursor to that, we want to look at what it looks like to trust the God who's asking us to go upstream. Um, what it looks like to go upstream in a culture that's going the other direction. So this is the story um, that we're a part of. And brought us to Philippians. And Philippians is a letter from Paul. And if you've heard anything about the Apostle Paul, 
you're aware that almost every letter he writes seems to be written from prison. <laughs> this is another one of those. And he's writing again from prison, and it's full of images, and if there is a book that you ought to read to form yourself and to learn what it looks like to be a spiritually practicing person, go to Philippians. It's full of imagery of what it looks like to run a race with a goal that is Jesus. And that's the whole theme of Philippians is run toward Jesus. Paul's whole aim is, I want to know Jesus. It takes up only about three pages in your Bible. So if you have time, and maybe even if you don't have time, I'd recommend maybe this afternoon sitting down and just reading it. It won't take you very long. And as you read it, you'll see this theme that Paul's whole purpose is everything points towards how great it is to know Jesus and how that's the most important thing. And by extension, that everybody else should also know Jesus because that's the most important thing. To the point that he's in prison, and when he writes in his letter about being in prison, he says, guys, I'm in prison. This means the prison guards get to hear about Jesus. Good news. Wow, I'm glad I'm here. That is how much he believes that Jesus is the sole purpose. So when we get to this part, that's his purpose, that we would know him. And Paul is now talking to the church. He's encouraging them and says, hey, there's two ways that you can go. There's two ways that you can walk. You can be walking, like me, toward Jesus. Or there are others, even in this church that he's talking to, perhaps even in our church, who are walking the other way. And their God is their belly, and they're walking this way, and he says that road leads to destruction. And he's, as their pastor, so sad about this. He says, I write with like tear stains on this page because I'm crying about how, how awful it is to see you walk away from the very thing that's the best thing to know Jesus. And I don't think for most of us when we get to this, that we disagree with Paul that this is the right thing to do, that following and knowing Jesus is the right thing. If I ask for a show of hands, how many of you want to know Jesus? I think, yeah, I even see hands. A lot of people want to know Jesus. Many of you, you became a Christian when somebody asked you the question, do you want to know Jesus? And you raised your hand, and that was your moment of salvation. So I don't think we need to stress the importance of how good it is to know Jesus. We can, but that's not what we're going to do this morning. I think the question that we need to deal with is, is he our most important desire? Is our desire to know Jesus the most important thing in our lives? Because that is what Paul's getting at. Whether you realize it or not, and you probably do realize it, we live in a very branded world. Everything's about brand and marketing. And the less time that we have, the more marketing agencies are trying to figure out how to buy that time and how to get something in front of our eyes so they can sell us something. And, and honestly, some of it I'm actually okay with. Pers like, when I look at my life, I like the fact that when I Google coffee shops near me, Google knows what coffee shop styles I like and is like, here, go to this one, you'll like this. I kind of like that. It makes my life convenient. I kind of like when I go onto Netflix and it suggests me the most weirdly niche category of uh, witty intellectual British crime dramas because it knows that's exactly the type of show that I'm going to watch. Saves me so much time scrolling. So the fact that everything is branded, we, we live in a consumer environment. 
And as a consumer in this consumer environment, sometimes I like living in this environment. But as we live in this environment, this consumer mindset, it's really easy for us to treat the God of the universe as another product to add to our life. Maybe you've heard some article about how good religion is for your children, and so, well, maybe we'll put them in that. We'll try the Jesus thing for a little bit and see if that makes our family life better. And we kind of add Jesus in in the same way that we might add a diet or a sport or a book or a new hobby. And many of you have heard this sermon before. <laughs> yes, I know Jesus has to be the, the one on the throne and uh, I can't put other things before him and, and all of this. Some of you haven't, and whether you have or haven't, we are in a culture that is fighting this, this mindset, so I think it's important we reconsider. One of the things we do here is we remember. I think it's important that we actually wrestle again and again um, with the way that we can treat God as just a commodity. Because do you understand the danger of treating God as another product in our life? What becomes our goal when we treat God as a product in our life? Is it Christ? Or is it ourselves? It's ourselves, isn't it? Uh, John Piper, he asks a really important question. He says this is the question for our generation. So listen up. This is the question. And I'm going to ask it to you. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth, and all the food you ever liked, and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? It reveals something about why are we pursuing Christ? And the Holy Spirit, he has been making me think about this a lot recently. Because uh, I, too, I'm a product of our culture. And I've actually spent the last four years, uh, two years too long, up at SFU, um, here on the west coast of Canada. And uh, I would say if there was a woke culture, I feel like I've been kind of swimming in it this last little while. I know woke is kind of, maybe you've kind of heard this word, maybe you haven't, but it's this, this idea that it's the concept of being really progressive, being enlightened, I am not part of the wrong side of history, I'm on the right side of history, that sort of idea. Now, if you're parents of teens, don't start using woke now that you know what it means. They'll roll your eyes, but <laughs> that's the, the kind of other end. So I've been up in this, this woke culture, as it were, and I will say, I've been actually, maybe controversially, a little bit proud to be a Christian in this culture on some days. You know why? Because I've been able to find things in the Bible that are pretty woke. When topics of like institutional racism come up, I proudly don my Christian hat and I say, hey, the message of scripture does not tolerate racism. Check mark. Women's rights? Well, Christianity has always taught equality between the sexes and giving status to women. Check. Uh, when debates about the climate arise, I go, yes, sir. Actually, the, I care about the climate because 
I believe the Bible calls us to steward it. Factory farming? Hey, check out the Old Testament laws that govern the protection and care for animals. Check. And I get pretty smug. Now, these are just some examples, and you may disagree with my examples. Um, you probably have your own examples. The question I have right now is less about those issues and more about my own heart. Now, I believe these things are true. Uh, and I'm glad that I serve a good God and that he cares for us. Let's not get that wrong. But to what end am I following Jesus? Why am I following Jesus? Is it because of Jesus or because I can brand myself as a Christian and get pretty good street credit? Jesus says in Luke 6, Woe to you when all people speak well of you. Uh, David Kinneman and Mark Matlock are two sociologists um, who are Christians. They've done a huge study on what it looks like for a youth to a young adult to stay like, as resilient followers of Jesus. Um, because there's many who grow up in the church and then kind of leave. And one of the things that they said is that they've found maybe one of the things that we may do wrong as a, as a people. It says, we've responded to the identity of, to the identity pressures of our culture. So our culture gives us all these pressures to find an identity. They say, we've responded to this by offering young people a Jesus brand experience, rather than facilitating a transformational experience to find their identity in the person and work of Jesus. Because mere fans of brand Jesus are not at all resilient under pressures in exile. And I don't think this is just for young adults. I think this is for all of us. I think we can quickly adopt brand Jesus because it does something for us. I'm not trying to split hairs um, or say deal with something that's not important. I think this is really, really, really important. In Paul's second letter to Timothy, he warns him gravely. And he says, the time is coming when people will not endure sound and healthy teaching. But instead, they'll have itchy ears and they'll just accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and will instead wander off into myths. Family, it's so important that we're aware that we all have these itching ears. We want to be like, we want our ears to be scratched. It's kind of a weird picture, but this idea that there are things in Scripture that I really, really, really want to hear Scripture say. And there are other things in Scripture that I really don't. And if we're not careful, we can start to look in the Bible and pick out the type, the brand of Christianity that we want to have. But then when we do that, who is actually boss? Who is king? Is it the one who wrote this? The creator of the universe? Or is it me who gets to pick out what I would like for him to do? You see, this is dangerous. Um, like our ability to look good is a huge temptation. It's not the only temptation that we have. Uh, in the summertime, we looked at singleness. We talked a lot about our culture's extreme view of sex and how that is the main reason why we exist. Um, we love our stuff. We love our money, especially because our money gets us the stuff. And we love our security. We love our culture, just the way it is. 
Um, and these are all temptations that we're drawn toward. These are all itching things that we want our Bible to tell us. And we need to admit that they're there, right? What's the most dangerous thing is if we don't realize that we have temptations. Um, could we admit that those are some temptations that we're drawn to the other path? Yeah, I, I can see it in my own self, and I hope that you'd see. Um, D.A. Carson says that people don't actually drift toward holiness. You know this. Apart from grace-driven effort, people don't gravitate toward godliness or toward prayer or obedience or toward scripture or faith or delight in the Lord. Instead, we drift toward compromise and call it tolerance. We drift toward obedience and call it freedom. We drift toward superstition and call it faith. We cherish when we lose self-control and we call that relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness, and we delude ourselves into thinking that we've escaped being legalistic. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we've been liberated. I was recently reminded about one of my favorite stories of all time, which is the sixth story in the Chronicles of Narnia series by C.S. Lewis, which is the silver chair. Raise your hand if you've listened to or read this story before. Okay, there's a good number of hands. Uh, this is one of my favorite stories. And as I like, looked back into it, I was like, oh, it is one of my favorite stories. Uh, and in this story, there's this, this great lion known as Aslan. You may recognize him from another part of this series. Um, and he represents uh, the person of God. And uh, I, don't wanna, I won't spoil the details of the story because I think you should read it or at least listen to it. Um, but we're going to talk some of, about some of the topics because I think it's important. Um, so Aslan sends these two children on a mission to rescue a missing prince. And to help them out, he gives them this list of instructions, of signs. He says, look out for these signs because otherwise you will never find this prince. Um, have you ever tried to get somebody to remember a shopping list? You're like, okay, we need like cabbage, eggs, yogurt, cheese. I don't know what they're making, but, and then the other person's like, oh yeah, um, it's whipped cream. No, 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 no. It's uh, cabbage, eggs, and you kind of get them to repeat it back and forth until you're saying the same thing. This is kind of what Aslan does. He goes through this process, gets her to repeat all these things, so she knows these five signs that she's supposed to look out for. And you can picture them. They're up on this cliff, way, way up high, there's a beautiful forest, and you can kind of smell the fruit trees and hear the babbling brook. And they're up high in this cool, crisp air. And down below, at the very base of the cliff, is the land of Narnia, which she's going to go into. So she's got all these signs. And then this is what the lion says. Now, I'm not going to give you a lion voice, because nobody wants that. <laughs> but imagine this. This is first. Remember, remember, remember the signs. Say them to yourself when you wake in the morning and when you lie down at night and when you wake in the middle of the night. And whatever strange things may happen to you, let nothing turn your mind from following the signs. And secondly, I give you a warning. Here on this mountain, I've spoken to you clearly. I will not often do so down in Narnia. Here on the mountain, the air is clear and your mind is clear. As you drop down into Narnia, the air will thicken. Take great care that it does not confuse your mind. 
and the signs which you have learned here will not look at all as you expect them to look when you meet them there. That is why it is so important to know them by heart and pay no attention to appearances. Remember the signs and believe the signs. Nothing else matters. So she goes down into Narnia, and we quickly see what happens. In the story, we see Jill. She starts out strong. She at least tries to remember them. When she wakes up in the morning, she, she recites them before she goes to bed. But slowly, she gets tired of remembering. She'll remember when she needs to, right? Or at least when she sees the thing she's looking for, then she'll at least remember that it was there. But the more tired she gets, the more she forgets to remember. And when the promise of a great feast and a warm bed is offered, that becomes the most important thing. Eventually, she actually finds herself face to face with one of the things she was supposed to look out for, and she misses it. Because she stopped remembering her purpose. She stopped remembering what she had heard in the clear mountaintop, and she thought she'd still find things just as obvious as she once would have. But as her priorities changed, her awareness changed. It's easy for us in our world to just simply receive the values that we're given, um, to take on our cultural values of consumerism, which is just one of them. I know I mentioned a lot. It's one of the values. Uh, and we just conclude that and brand that as part of our Christianity. Uh, sometimes we can see in the United States, which is a little bit separate from us, how easy it is for the flag and democracy and freedom to be wrapped up as sacred as or even more sacred than scripture itself. Um, and we're in no less danger in our Canadian culture. That's just an easier one for us to see. Uh, so I was reminded of a story in my own life. Uh, many of you know Simon Peacock. He's part of our church. Uh, he serves us in many ways. He preaches. Um, he's the one with the English accent, which guy's already extremely brilliant. And then he's got an English accent, so I was just like, um, but he's also one of my best friends, and we were part of a, a leader team, and we were going on a retreat together. Um, so I was driving. We were going to this cabin in Mount Baker, and we were excited. There's me and Simon and two other people, and I was driving, and we thought, we are excited to go down to Mount Baker and enjoy this time there with friends, rest and relaxation. And so we thought, hey, uh, let's just take our time. We'll leave early. We'll make it a bit of a road trip. It's not that long of a journey, but why not? So uh, we had lots of time to spare. We took our time. We stopped in Bellingham and got some ice cream. We stretched our legs, uh, and eventually we got to the final address. And like, we were kind of disappointed because we got to this place, and it was kind of a cul-de-sac, a bunch of townhomes and like ranch homes, and it was a, kind of a, almost a gated community feel. We thought, ah, oh, like, this isn't quite the mountain retreat we were hoping for, but, oh, well, I guess uh, it's getting dark. We should find out where it goes. And we didn't know where to park because I couldn't see the other cars. So one of the, the girls got out to scope out the address and find the right house. Um, and I was thinking, well, maybe I'll look in my emails and see if there's a unit number or some, like, special parking place. And as I did, I kind of had a sinking feeling in my chest. Um, because as I was looking at our map, and we were in Burlington. <laughs> now, for context, this is Mount Baker. That's where we were supposed to be going. 
Matt's Burlington. <laughs> we are so, so off course. Now, it turns out when you type in address, an address, there may be two cities that have the same street address. And just typing the one that says Washington with around the same travel time, it won't necessarily get you the right place. Uh, now, I have some good friends, and we laughed really, really hard for the whole hour and 20 minutes back to where we needed to go. Now, Simon was in the passenger seat. I'm not saying it's his fault, but... <laughs> I'm jo I'm, I put in the address. So, in any case, we were so sure of the directional compass in my phone, so sure that it was just taking us the right way, that all the elements of my brain that should have been paying attention to some obvious signs, like maybe ones that said Mount Baker this way, or the fact that we stopped in Bellingham for ice cream. <laughs> some of these things, if I had been thinking that I needed to know where I was going, I would have recognized, I would have noticed, but I didn't. I didn't because those parts of my perception were turned off. And that is precisely the characteristic of the person who walk, as Paul says, as enemies of the cross of Christ. He doesn't say, just like people who got it wrong, he says enemies of the cross of Christ. You're this way or this way. He says their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. And now, we probably don't talk enough about the way that we treat food in our society, but maybe that's a sermon for another topic. But of the things, I don't think we just are focused on our God being our belly and just what we eat, although that's one. Um, the point, the people who are walking in the wrong direction have their focus in the wrong place and have put Jesus as a commodity to be used rather than as king on his throne. So the question is, who gets to make the final call in your life about what to do and what not to do? Is my reputation, is it based on what makes my reputation the best? What about my appetite? Is it my wanting to be nice? What about my perfectionism? Does that make the call? What about wanting to not be weird? Is it my desire to be entertained? Do I look at entertainment as, if it's entertaining, I should take it? Is it my desire to feel secure financially? Or to be represented in government? Who is the king? A guy named Mike Mason, I think, puts it well. He says, religion, if it was boiled down to one thing, is this, that there is a God, and I am not him. There is a God, and I am not him. And that's, uh, as followers of Jesus, we need to understand what kingdom we're part of. Thomas More says, if we've not chosen the kingdom of God, it doesn't make a difference what we've chosen instead. And that's where Paul goes next. Paul says we can go astray. I think it was this side. We can go astray, and the solution um, is this. Reminding ourselves that our citizenship is, in, is in heaven. Um, so he gives us our status, that we are citizens of a kingdom, and that kingdom is ruled by King Jesus. Now, if you're a Christian, the thing that you believe is that there is a king, and that king is Jesus, and he is in control of your life, and he is the one that you follow. Now, 
if you could not say that Jesus is your king, it may be that you're not actually a Christian. And I'm not saying that to hurt your feelings, but I, believe, I think it's true. And if I rephrase it a different way, you'll probably see what I mean. If you do not follow Jesus, you are not a follower of Jesus. That seems kind of obvious, right? And we say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but we don't follow him. We're not a follower of Jesus. Being a Christian means that we recognize the reality that there's one king of kings, and he is Jesus Christ, who is the Lord our God. Now, recognizing this, it's not easy. Um, But what a relief to know that I'm not in charge. This does mean that we come to something in our culture, and we have to decide what to do about it. Our response is not Let's weigh out the options. Let's think it through. Let's decide what I think is best. Let's see how this all works together and then hope that it lines up with what the Bible says or hopes that we can find an interpretation that matches it. We don't get that. When I get a speeding ticket, I might really disagree with the fact that I got a speeding ticket, but I don't have the permission to sit down and rehash the origins of traffic law Um, I don't get to come up with my own philosophy of the Motor Vehicle Act. Why? Because I'm not in charge. (laughs) There's something above me, whether I like it or not. Now, a friend was talking to me recently about, like, the idea of Christmas and Jesus coming as our Savior. And he was struggling with the idea that for 2,000 years, or for thousands of years, um, there is a people who is waiting for their God to come as a human. Waiting. This is the whole thing they're waiting for. And he comes, and we miss it. Like a very small handful of people actually find it. And then he thought, Jesus says he's coming again. Is there a way that we might be blind, that we might miss him when he comes again? And so his response to this like, made me shudder a little bit. He said that the first time, everyone was expecting a king, and they missed him because he came as a servant. When he comes again, might we miss him because we expect a servant, and he will come as king? I know for us, inherently, this doesn't feel good right away, because if we're honest, we're a little bit obsessed with our own rights, and we don't like the idea of authority or somebody above us. And for the most part, like, we're, as Christians, not going to prison like Pastor Paul. Uh, We have enjoyed a lot of rights of what the Bible has said lining up with our society for, like, the last some odd years. Um, So when someone, anyone, even God, comes in and says he's our king, it makes us naturally squirm a little bit. But doesn't it make a world of difference what kind of king we have? Doesn't it ought it not to? So the status that we have is of subjects of King Jesus who is good. We are citizens of heaven, and he is good. And like, how good is he? It says here that we await from heaven a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's he going to do? He's going to transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body. And he can do this because he has the power over all things. And what he's doing with that, he's saying, I am transforming you 
to know me, to be like me, both physically, spiritually, emotionally, every part of us, to be transformed, to be like him. He's the one who created us and who formed us, and his purposes are good, even when they don't look good, even when they go against our society, even when they're not woke. Um, can we trust that our king has us on the right path, even when we don't feel it? Uh, Eric Tanis, I was reading something by him, and he wrote this quote, which I thought was important. He says, there's this idea that if we live out of conformity with how I feel, so how I feel and what I believe are out of conformity, um, that's hypocrisy. But that's a wrong definition of hypocrisy. To live out of conformity to what I believe is hypocrisy. To live in conformity, to live on the same line with what I believe in spite of what I feel, that's not hypocrisy, that's integrity. Um, as citizens of heaven, we're going to stand out as residents on earth. And one thing I know, I tend toward, is this weird fence sitting. And if I were left to myself, you know what I do? I want to live as close to the line, if there were a line between what it looks like to be a Christian and what it looks like to not be a Christian, what it looks like to follow Jesus and not to follow Jesus, so that I've got all my bets covered, you know? I want to get my money's worth out of this life. So if I die and I don't open my eyes to the kingdom of heaven, well, at least I got the best out of life that I could have. At least I enjoyed the maximum that I could have as a Christian of life, you know, kind of sitting on that fence. But just not enough that, like, I still want to be able to call myself a Christian and a follower of Jesus. So that way, if I do open my eyes when I die and Christ is there, <laughs> good. But as I say these things out loud, I hope you notice and I notice how silly that sounds and how much I am not recognizing the king to be who he is, the God of the universe, as if somehow he's going to be fooled by my fence-sitting. Because if I truly believe this to be true, there's only one choice, to run towards Christ. C.S. Lewis uh, says, if you're approaching God not as a goal, but as a road, not as an ends, but as means, you're not really approaching him at all. And I'm confident this is what Jesus meant when in Matthew 7 he said, many are going to come to me at the end of days thinking that they were following Jesus, saying, Lord, Lord. And he will sadly say to them, I never knew you. But look at all the accolade, look at all the things that I did for you. You weren't pursuing me. Are we fans of brand Jesus or do we call him king? The good news is, friends, if you don't, it's not too late. It's not too late to call him king. You know, what the, you know what the requirements are to be citizens of heaven? Restoration through Jesus Christ. The one who is the king of kings came and entered our broken world, died on our behalf, and said, because I've risen from the dead and died on behalf of your sins, I'm restoring you and making you new. I'm drawing you towards myself. And so that citizenship is available to you. All you do is call him king, and he is king. Whether you call him king or not, by the way, he's still king. But will you serve him? 
to quote Jill's friend Puddleglum from our story, his instructions always work. There are no exceptions. And we don't do this alone, brothers and sisters. Paul says something weird in this passage. <laughs> he starts off and he says, hey, join in imitating me. Do what I'm doing. And keep your eyes on the people who are around you and walk like them, using them as an example. He says, do this together. Um, pick out some people who are following Jesus as king and start to follow them. Um, those of you who are older in your faith, I don't think it's arrogant for you to come up to someone like me who's younger in our faith and say, hey, follow me because I'm walking towards Jesus. And it's also not pitiful for you as a younger person in your faith to come up to an older person and say, hey, can I follow you? Because I like where you're going. You're walking toward Jesus. In fact, this is how we stay firm and we stay stable. This story that we're part of as a church is a story that we're part of as a church. And so we connect with one another as we walk the same journey together. Right now, the air is clear and your mind is clear. But as you go out these doors, the air will thicken. Take great care that it does not confuse your mind. And the signs which you have learned here what Christ has taught in our scripture, the things that he's told us, how to walk, how to identify what is of God and what is not, they will not look as you expect them to look when you meet them there. So remember, and go with a friend. Show up here week by week. Remember this story that you are a part of. In Greek mythology, when Ulysses was traveling by this island where there's these, these women on the rocks and they were screaming, they knew that they were gonna, he was going to go insane if he heard them scream. And he knew that there's only one way to do it. So he told his men, he knew this was going to be a temporary insanity, and he said, put wax in your ears so you can't hear and tie me to the mast, and no matter what I say, don't let me go. Because I know this is passing, and I know I don't want to do something when I'm insane that I'll regret for the rest of my life. And so we need our friends to tie us up sometimes <laughs> because we go insane. Um, as the music team comes up, um, we're going to have a time of response in song. And as they do, I want to read you a section from an ancient letter. This is a letter written to a, a guy named Diognetus. Uh, and this is written about 150 to 220 AD. And he's writing about, like, they're living in a society, and a group of Christians has appeared. Society is not a fan of Christians, but he's, like, just describing a history of what were the Christians like. And this is what he writes. Uh, he says, the Christians, they're not different because of their humanity um, sorry, they're not different because of their country or their language or their customs because they don't live in cities on their own and they don't speak some unusual dialect. They don't practice some eccentric way of life. The teaching that they have is not because some really intelligent people have discovered it and after much thought have come up with it. Um, they don't even promote any human doctrine like some do. But while they live in both Greek and barbarian cities, and follow the local customs and dress and food and other aspects of life. At the same time, they demonstrate 
the remarkable and admittedly unusual character of their own citizenship. They live in their own countries, but only as non-residents. They participate in everything as citizens, but endure everything as foreigners. They marry like everyone else, and they have children, but they don't kill their offspring. They share their food, but not their wives. They are in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. They live on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws. Indeed, in their private lives, they transcend the laws, and they love everyone. So Jesus in Matthew 10, 16 tells his disciples, behold, I am sending you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. He promises that there'll be suffering and difficulty. It will be hard to be a Christian in this world. There are already things that you believe that are not woke or accepted by those around you. So Paul's encouragement is this. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and who I long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Because he is king and he is trustworthy and we can trust him. So Father, we thank you that you are king. God, you have revealed yourself in so many ways. Um, you've called us your, our father, our friend. Um, you have served us, but Lord, I think we sometimes struggle to see you as king. So work on our hearts, Lord, and help us to follow you and trust that you do know best and you are the God who always does what he says he will do. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. If God has been speaking to you in certain ways and you are aware of where he sits on the throne, who sits on the throne, uh, something that he's telling you you need to deal with, I'd encourage you, while the air is clear, <laughs> to deal with it. Um, we would, we'll have some people um, up here to pray um, with you, and we'd love, or if there's some people around you that you'd like to pray with, but don't leave here without dealing with the things that God's asking you to deal with. Um, and we also uh, have refreshments and food at the back, um, which would also be a great time to maybe find some people to do this with. Uh, so I'd encourage you, that's as much a part of our worship time as this is, because we spur one another on towards Jesus. So as we go, I'm going to read uh, and proclaim this prayer from Psalm 146. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Don't put your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there's no salvation. Because when his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoner free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations.
So praise the Lord. Go in his peace.